Now, don't worry, David. Everything's going to be all right. And tomorrow, when Goofy's calmed down, we'll go and see him together. Now, just a moment, Susan. Don't think that I don't appreciate all you've done, but... Oh, it was nothing, but, David, really. Just a moment. But there are limits to what a man can bear. And besides that, tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to get married. <laughs> what for? Well, because... Be <laughs> well, anyway, I'm going to get married, Susan, and don't interrupt. No. Now, my future wife has always regarded me as a man of some dignity. Privately, I'm convinced that I have some dignity. Now, it isn't that I don't like you, Susan, because, after all, in moments of quiet, I'm strangely drawn toward you, but, well, there haven't been any quiet moments. Our relationship has been a series of misadventures from beginning to end. So, if you don't mind, I'll see Mr. Peabody alone and unarmed. Without me? Yes, without you, and definitely without you. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And before we begrudgingly get to today's episode on Bringing Up Baby, in which I will admit fully right off the bat that this was my choice, not Ian, so... You can either thank me or hate me for that. I don't really, I don't really know. Um, we are gonna get to some recommendations this week. Ian, what do you got for us? I have 1997's Gross Point Blank. Oh, man, I have not seen this. Wow, I am. I own it, and I, I haven't seen it. I've literally lost the ability to speak. Okay, so this is just gonna be a solo episode today. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe you haven't seen You've seen High Fidelity, right? I have, yeah. So it's all the same creative yeah, team yes, that did yes. uh, High Fidelity. Of course, uh, John Cusack and both. Uh, anyway, for anybody who hasn't seen High Fidelity, came out in 1997. Um, this film is just one of those little gems that I don't think gets talked about enough. I actually found it um, the first, I remember the first issue of Empire Magazine I ever bought when I was living in the UK. It was about 1999. It was a special, big, huge edition uh, where they had been polling for ages and trying to craft this list of the 500 greatest films of all time. And this came in at like number four, either 500 or 499, like right at the end. Okay, sure. Like 500 with a bullet. Yeah. Again, I, I got puns aplenty. That's three puns in three episodes. Hot damn. Yeah, man, I'm on a roll. It's a good day. It's the lowest form of humor and I need to stop it. Um so John Cusack is this hitman. He's kind of getting burnt out. He's got a therapist that just can't stand him, that he just keeps showing up anyway. Dr. Oakman is his name, and he's played. So if we were doing an episode on this film, Alan Arkin would be my unsung hero. Oh, he's he in it? Oh, that's great. Perfect. It's it's so good. I, I could just sit here and talk about Alan Arkin, but I won't. Um, he uh, gets contracted into doing this job, and it just so happens to be in his hometown on the weekend of his 10-year high school reunion. Now, he up and left town. He abandoned his date, played by Minnie Driver in the film, just left her there in a $700 prom dress, as she so well points out. She is now a radio presenter. 
Um, she's got her own show, and she's just planning on sitting there all weekend and ripping these people apart uh, while they go to the high school reunion. And then the long-lost love of her life shows up, John Cusack. Now, he's not the only one in town for this hit. The FBI is hot on his trail, as well as Dan Aykroyd, who is kind of his father figure, or wants to be his father figure mentor, who is trying to put together a sort of conglomerate, a collective of uh, assassins so they don't step on each other's toes <laughs> and get double booked for hits or you know you know how tough that can be oh no i hate when i'm double booked when i gotta you know bump somebody off i know it's tough but Ackroyd is is pitch perfect in this it's one of the last really good Ackroyd performances wait wait you mean his role in pearl harbor doesn't grab you I've still not seen Pearl Harbor. Oh, okay, that's fine. I'd probably not miss it. <laughs> you don't need to. Yeah, you're fine. But man, I I urge you to go home tonight and pop Gross Point Blank on. And if you've got nothing going on, this is a... I, we are going to watch something. So, oh, dude, you uh, got to... We might. Please. Okay. I'm okay. begging you. Okay. You got to do this movie. Okay. Um, I'll report back. So anyway, yeah, so yeah, he's there for his high school reunion. And uh, like I said, there's the FBI is on him. So is Dan Aykroyd. And then there's this other guy, this great character, uh, Pierre Lapoubelle. Which, if you're fluent in French, you'll know that means garbage can. Uh, he's also there trying to bump him off because of a hit that went wrong. There's a great subplot with this dog named Boudreaux, who was a retriever. I won't spoil any more than that because that story is great. It's okay. this great little linchpin that people keep referencing. And uh, I, it's just a fun little comedy. It's got Jeremy Piven in it as well. Okay, all right. Uh, and, of course, John's sister Joan, oh, yeah. who is just spectacularly over the top as his uh, secretary, Let Marcella. me say, I have wanted to see this movie. I just, it's it, like like so many others. It's just, you know, the the amount of shit to watch in any given night. Oh, it's yeah. like, how do I even narrow it down? Yeah, oh, most no. of the time. Yeah, so. well, they they did a they did a survey. Most people spend more time scrolling for something to look for on Netflix than they do actually watching something. Yep, but, that sounds uh, right. I stumbled upon it a few nights back. It was on HBO. I realized I didn't own it, so I bought it straight away after watching it on HBO, and then yeah. watched it again. <laughs> Because of how much I just love this film, the soundtrack. If I can make a reference to another John Cusack movie, High Fidelity, the soundtrack oh. kicks fucking ass. Yeah, I mean, other than the the Guns N' Roses cover of of Live and Let Die yeah. is on the soundtrack, which fuck them. How is High Fidelity not in the book? That kills I me. That hurts. I, well, I would gun to my head. Another pun for you. I would put Gross Point Blank in the book. I adore this film, man. Yeah, and it's not it's not perfect. Sure, well, I, but. Also, uh, another great character actor is in it, Ryan Mitchell, the the bad guy in Lethal Weapon. Oh, not, okay. not oh Busey, God. but yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. he's in it as Mini Driver's dad. <laughs> That's funny. And he is just he's playing so disinterested throughout the whole film. I love it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I, I can't wait to talk to you about Alan Arkin in particular. Sure. I'm very yeah, yeah. excited that you haven't seen this film because I can't wait. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. Anyway, there's my gross point blank. Uh, as of this recording, streaming on HBO. I mean, really treat yourselves because it is it's it's such a fun little fluffy treat yeah well speaking of of a fluff and and just purely just something that was made f- for laughs um i i have something that i is i think is really recent um as of the recording maybe maybe out for less than a month and um it is it's it's streaming on netflix and it is between two ferns the movie i started it and i didn't finish it i didn't have the time to finish it um now I I can't say that I watched a lot of the the the, the funnier die clips like the the just the one on ones. Um, I'm sure you've seen some of them. Yeah, like, yeah. The, like the Obama one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But but um, so I the trailer popped up automatically one day. I was like, so I watched the trailer. I was like, oh, fuck, I gotta, I just gotta watch it. And and again, 
it, it it's a movie in the loosest sense. Basically, Will Ferrell as the CEO of Funny or Die is is giving um is has given Zach Galifianakis an ultimatum because he's he's killed um Matthew McConaughey, which he hasn't really, but that's part of the joke. That that moment because I did see up to that and a little bit past that where he says to him, "Of all the things you could have won an Academy Award for, how, how surprised, surprised are you? You won one for acting." Yeah. I, McConaughey's reaction. Which, here we oh, go. Here we go. Yeah. And of course, he makes reference to fucking Jared Leto winning one, so it can't be that hard, right? I love it too because I see you have a shirt on. Are you okay? Yeah. Well, you got better things to do. You got to drive around shirtless in a in a Lincoln convertible. Um, and so, anyways, yeah, I do. so as as like penance for for this, he has to go. He has to get ten episodes of Funny or Die or of of uh, Between Two Ferns into Funny or Die by like a certain date. But if he can, he's going to get a network show, which is what he wants. That like there's, that's the that he's you know he's going to drive across the country and be, well because of, because of the accident with the it, it, there's a leak and um, they have to drive across the country to interview people because they can't do it in their studio. Um, and uh, there's a whole subplot where he ends up having sex with Chris, Chrissy Teigen, and then John. He, then he interviews John Legend. It's just this like ridiculous subplot. And, oh, that's um, brilliant. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get that. There, far. there are some familiar faces that travel with him. Um, I don't know their names, but they're they're clearly like regulars on other comedy shows. And um, he, some of the, I mean, he interviews Brie Larson, John Hamm, Paul Rudd. How good was the Keanu one? Oh, it's, oh, it's I did, great. I did see up to that. It's and, great. Oh, the Keanu one's so good. Yeah. I love that. Did you, did you see any of the John Hamm stuff? No, I didn't see John. He goes. Hamm. He goes. So, um, you know, you know, Bradley Cooper starred, wrote, and directed uh, *Star Is Born*. So, do you think that's going to lead the way for other hot idiots to make it in Hollywood? <laughs> that's so good. Oh man! And then, of course, it's worth it just to get to the end to see the outtakes too. And then there's one that Brie Larson. He goes, "I've read that you're um, you're fairly personal and you don't like asking questions. This is a two-parter." Um, oh God, what does he say? Something about like. Um, why is that? And when was your first? Period? Yes, yes, exactly. Oh my God, it's it's it's. It, I I did, I saw that bit as well, and I love her reaction to him digging at the Captain Marvel character. Yeah, and just they're running out of names for superheroes. <laughs> so funny. So yeah, and I really don't like. I said there's there's hardly any plot to it. Um, well, it's all it's mockumentary style. Yeah, but like. it is it is very it is very funny, and um, it, it's a quick watch. It's like seventy something minutes or eighty. It, it's it's quick, but it's it's a series of very funny bits. And and you know, you said you didn't finish it. It is the kind of movie where you could watch twenty minutes at a time. Like if you wanted to make this like a sitcom kind of thing, watch it watch it in three 20 minute chunks or three half hour chunks. You'd be you'd be fine. Yeah. Um, but it is it is funny, and it is it's the perfect kind of like. If you don't want to just turn the office on for the umpteenth time or friends or whatever, like like this is the kind of thing where you could you could you don't have to be paying the most utmost absolute attention while you watch it and you'd still get what's going on. So and but on and it's not this isn't like a kind of recommend. Like I, I laughed a lot. This is I this is a solid recommend and it's on Netflix, so between two ferns, the movie is is my recommend for I mean, this him week. losing his mind over the the ferns after the ferns get like drowned yeah. with him. Yeah. Well, Cause he, he's, he's convinced that they are the same two ferns in every episode. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a whole bit about how she has to go buy him. Anyways, it's, it's funny. It's fun. It's good fun. Um, I had more fun watching that than the movie that we are going to talk about today. Well, I had more fun watching gross point blank for probably the 25th time. There you go. There you go. So we have gotten to our first Howard Hawks movie and, uh, and we are talking about bringing up baby. Um, directed now, by, Howard Hawks, man. 
Yeah. He's, he's when you're going through the book, there's a moment where he had or there's a there's a chunk where he has a movie like every 10 pages. Well, and and, and one thing I will say about at least about his like his career is it is wide and varied. Um, so he is in the book a number of times beyond this. And so let me, let me read you the names. He made Scarface, the shame of a nation in 1932. Only angels have wings in 1939. Um, which of course is the same year as this, uh, his girl Friday, 1940, Sergeant York, 1941 to have and have not in 1944, the big sleep, 1946, red river, 1948, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, 1953, and Rio Bravo in 1959. Um, this movie is uh, written by Dudley Nichols and Hagar Wilde, and it was based on his short story, um, The Cast. Now, again, and this should this should this should work. This should, I mean, it should. Um, you know, we got Catherine Hepburn playing Susan, um, Cary Grant as uh, Doctor David Huxley, uh, Charles Ruggles as uh, Major Applegate. We have Walter uh, Catlett, who plays Slocum, who's the police chief, and also apparently um, Catherine Hepburn's uh, funny coach <laughs> on the set. Um, Barry Fitzgerald is Mr. Gogarty. May Robson is Aunt Elizabeth. Uh, Fritz Feld is Dr. Lehman. And then I also wrote down um, Leona Roberts, who plays Mrs. Gogarty. And I'm sure you could write some others down, too. I, I well, I got, I got the names of the animals. We got Astro. Oh. Who is uh, the dog from uh, the and, Thin Man? And Nisa. And Nisa, the the leopard, unsung hero of this movie, is Nisa. Nisa, nice, fucking a man. I appreciate it. That that is absolutely. You know who else mine. is in this film? Who else is in this film? Ward Bond. Oh, is he? Yeah. I love Ward Bond. I know you do. That's why I brought him up. Thank we've you. talked about him before. He's in The Quiet Man. He's in Maltese Falcon, Wonderful Life, all episodes yeah. that we've done. Yeah. He plays a motorcycle cop at the jail. Very small part. Nice. I don't even think he has any dialogue. Way to go, Ward Bond. Well done, man. Also from uh, Quiet Man is obviously uh, Barry Fitzgerald, who played Micheline. Micheline. That's not stereotypical at all. No, fuck you, Quiet Man. Um. So in terms of accolades, hey, Ian. Was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? In 1990, which was a huge year. I have a couple of other films oh. that were inducted in 1990, if you'd like to I would love to indulge know. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, three episodes that we've done. Uh, Great Train Robbery, Good Duck up. Soup, yep. Wonderful Life. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's a wonderful life. Yeah. And uh, one that we may or may not have coming up next year. <gasps> Raging Bull. Oh, yeah. As well as yeah. God, Godfather yeah. was that year as yeah. well. Oh, well, that's, ah, that's a good year. Yeah. That's, a, that's, that's yeah. a solid year. Yeah, other than this one. Um, uh, the 1997 AFI list had this um, at uh, 97 in its top 100. It moved up nine spaces to 88 in 2007 for some fucking reason. And again, as I mentioned in a, in a previous episode, I like to provide context um, oh, yes. to that. On either side of it is 12 Angry Men at 87. Why it's that low, I don't know. <laughs> And The Sixth Sense is just below it at number 89. Why it's on the list at all, again, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Fun, fun, fun. Um, It is not currently on the IMDb Top 250. It has a 93% critical and a 90% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Do you have any um, uh, critical things on this? I I couldn't find a full review that I like. Again, when you go back this far looking for reviews, a lot of them are just real plot uh, plot synopsis. I went looking for Bosley Crowther. Couldn't find his review. Did you get Bosley's? Not, not his whole one. Um, oh, did you find a quote from it though? Yes, I did. Well, while you're while you're looking for it, the only thing that I got, uh, I got a little quote from Frank S. Nugent from the New York Times. He called Hepburn breathless, senseless, and terribly, terribly fatiguing. I, which is is apt. I was gonna say. I wonder. I wonder why he would think that. I wonder why. Okay, I'm not gonna try to find. So it. you've talked about taking breaks. Uh, during the films that we've done 
and others that you have found yourself unable to take a break. Like last week's Texas Chainsaw, you did yes, all in one sitting. I did. I I had to take a break during this film. Oh, I took about five. Did you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I try and do them. There wasn't enough wine at home to get through this fucking oh, movie. Yeah. yeah. Did you have to go out for some? I did not. I, oh. I was not that desperate. I would have been so proud of you. You're, you would have gone so uh, so much in my estimation had you been like, fuck this, I'm going to go get a case of wine. Um, but oh, wait, hold on. I do, okay, I do have, um, I found the uh, original Variety uh, review. Um, and so it, this, it, the opening line is, bringing up baby, it's constructed for maximum of laughs. There is little rhyme or reason to most of the action, but it's all highly palatable, which I just think is funny. But it ends with this. Hagar Wilde's story has been neatly scripted by himself and Dudley Nichols. Developments are placed by sizzling dialogue. Chief, sorry, this is my favorite part. Chief shortcoming is that too much of too much time is consumed with the jail sequence. It diverts interest from the attempt to locate the missing pet leopard and dog. Prime reason for it, of course, is that it gives Miss Hepburn a chance to imitate a gun mall. Which, honestly, is actually probably her best moment. The gun mall stuff? Yeah. I don't even know that I... Uh, sure. I, I just yeah, had to give exactly. you a sure. Yeah, I mean, I know that we we both probably have the same opinion of her, which probably mirrors uh, Mr. Nugent's the breathless, senseless, and terribly, terribly fatiguing. Well, I, But if you have to pick something where you go, yeah, okay, she's okay here... It's. I think it's that. I, I. Yeah. I mean. I. I find that moment okay. It's fine. Yeah. Um. So. God. I got. I have to relive this movie. So let's let's talk about. Would the you plot. like me to do the plot? No. It's fine. Would you we, like can, me to... we can. We'll both. It's All fine. Right. So we open up and uh, we find uh, Cary Grant as uh, Dr. David Huxley. He's uh, an archaeologist and a paleontologist. Is a paleontologist? He's a paleontologist yeah. working at the the museum. Yeah. And um. He's been. Oh God. What's the the. Oh, it's a brontosaurus he's been working on for years. Yes, but I, I, um, it's the you very have, specific bone, the clavicle. Oh yes, yeah, sorry, I do. Um, the uh, the intercostal clavicle. That's that was the fucking bone that they were waiting for. Anyways, um, so he's he's working there and um, he's been waiting for this bone and apparently there's a a woman who's going to give him potentially give a million dollars uh, to the museum and um, we also kind of haphazardly find out that he's getting married. Tomorrow, which it seems like he forgot that was even a thing. To Miss Swallow. Yes. That's, that's, that's who, who apparently, um, will not do that, uh, because she doesn't even sound like sex is going to be a thing that happens because. No, because his job is too important. Yes. Wait, hold on. I think she's done so much for feminism. I see our marriage as a dedication to your work. Way to, way to really, uh, spearhead, uh. Independence yeah. for your sex, there, Miss Swallow. Um, but so he, uh, so uh, he has to basically schmooze. Uh, is it the lawyer of the woman who is it like a financial advisor? Yes. Yeah, I get the feeling he's a lawyer, financial advisor. Yeah, and so Mr. Um, Peabody, Mr. Peabody, and he's going golfing with Mr. Peabody, and um, this is where he meets Susan, and uh, a wealthy heiress. I kind of. Uh, Going into this movie and knowing about the leopard, I was thinking, oh, we're going to get, uh, this is where they took the character of uh, Cheryl from Archer, you know, because she's got, I don't know how much of Archer you've watched. But Enough. She's got the pet ocelot. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh man, this, this would be cool to see if they drew inspiration for her character from this, which I dismissed immediately. Yeah. And um, we find out that she is very aloof and, and doesn't really... Uh, I, I I want to say she doesn't care a lot about what other people think or yeah, do. Is it is it a, a lack of caring or just a lack of spatial and yeah and I don't know situational awareness. She plays she plays his golf ball. She drives his car. She rams it into another car. Um, we find out that that doesn't really seem to matter to her. Um, 
but you know, uh, Cary Grant is Dr. David Huxley. He has messed up this opportunity to schmooze Mr. Peabody, so he's going to go meet him for dinner. Uh, and that's just where Susan happens to be the same night. And the only part of the movie where I laughed happens in this scene where is it the, the dress. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, yep. which apparently really happens at Cary Grant. Yeah, yep. I read that too. And um, and uh, Harrod Hawks enjoyed the story, and so he decided to to put it in there. And then, inexplicably, for some reason, Susan calls him over to her apartment the next day. Why he shows up, I don't know. Well, she she's feigning that the you know she's she's got the leopard in the apartment yes. and she's being attacked and oh my god I need help and of course he's such the lovable schmooze that he's yeah. got to go rescue the damsel in distress. Of course, it was all a cunning ruse yes although there is a fucking leopard there there is that's a thing in that, a, that, in that a shot that i feel like maybe the hangover pays homage to with the tiger in the bathroom oh i, I think there's a little bit of that yeah there has to be yeah which and i'm glad you brought that up because that's probably going to come up later um <laughs> uh and so is that your replacement it is my replacement because i've got one too oh do yeah yeah. Uh, yeah. We're tipping our hands so early in this episode. It's it's in my nature. Um, so so, anyways, they have to fucking take this leopard to her aunt. Yes, because it is a gift from her brother who is traveling overseas, and her apparently his their aunt has always wanted a leopard. Always, as you do. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, I've always wanted a toilet seat made out of solid gold, but we don't always get what we fucking want now, do we? I guess that's true. Um, although why you'd want that is beyond me. Um, I'm just being a facetious prick. That's fine. <laughs> uh, so they, they're on the road. He basically has to go to what's fucking Connecticut. Um, yeah. With a total stranger on the, on the day, day he's getting, getting married. Yes. Thinking that he's going to get back in time, which is just so stupid. Um, and then they, they have to stop off. He tries to buy a lot of meat and which that scene's kind of good it's okay i'm i'm okay with it well let, let me get through that let me just yeah so ultimately they ultimately they end up at her aunt's house and um they they put the leopard in a stable um i'm cutting over a lot of stuff because i'm sure we'll come back to it and then but the leopard escapes and they have to go look for it at the same time there's another fucking leopard that's going to go off to the place where they kill leopards um, and this is a not nice leopard and both end up on the loose and they both end up at uh, everybody ends up at the, at the jail because nobody believe the the police constable does not believe anybody is who they say they are. And uh, then the second line comes in or a second leopard comes in, excuse me, but I got to get to the ending because I want to, I would love to maybe start here that Susan comes, I think to apologize and then he tells her that that was the best day of his life. And then she wrecks the fucking dinosaur that he's been working for God knows how long on. And we end. I think they mentioned either three or five years. It's, it's a substantial yeah, amount yeah. of time. But, they, but we end happily ever after. Because his fiance has left him because he's shown the color of his character because he fainted in the jail cell. She called him, what she called him, a butterfly? Yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah. So I, here's, here's where I would like to start. I believe that this is why people that Susan's behavior is why a lot of people hate white people. There's a sense of, I think you're white privileged people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That there's a sense of arrogance and that we have the whole world coming and and like her, I want to call it obliviousness, but she just, 
No, she's very deliberate in her actions. She she mentions to one of her maids that I've this is the man I love. This is the man I'm going to marry. I've never been in love with a person like this before. Even though he is engaged, he keeps stressing the point that I've got to get home for a wedding. Well, it, and she is deliberately out to sabotage his but forthcoming marriage. There's even lines like, like when when uh th- like you know they're they've they've escaped they've uh, they've after they fucking run into the chickens and the ducks, and they're they've they've gotten to her aunt's place and and and. Carrie Grant says something like, you know, and on top of everything, we've stolen a car. And her line is, oh, I'll just send it back. I don't like it anyway. But I don't think it's said for, I mean, it's said because it's funny, but I don't think she's saying it to be funny. I think she's saying it because it's true. Yeah, no, she genuinely means it. And it's like, and it, this movie is chock full of lines where I'm like, I, how am I supposed to care? I, I don't, I well, don't if, like her. Well, if you want to talk about white privilege, there is a line in the film where somebody, I, I can't remember the context, but somebody says, oh, that's mighty white of him, which you want to talk about casual racism in the 30s. Yeah. Which, oh my Jesus God. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, 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 I'm not an idiot. I realize that this movie is very fucking old. Like this is what the, the 80th, right? Is this 39? No, it's 38. 38. It's a little bit older than that. But like, I get, I get how, how old this movie is. I'm not, I'm not an idiot, but there are, there are things about this movie that just, they haven't aged well, but, but it's, it's more than that. Like I just, I found myself getting angry. I I really, I I wasn't, I didn't find, I did not find Susan charming. I, I found her really, really aggravating to watch throughout this movie. Oh, absolutely. And I can see why the studio called her box office poison. I can see why, uh, audiences didn't connect with it. Critics were decidedly lukewarm towards it. What really fascinated me, so I was doing this morning some last-minute research because, again, I don't. maybe either of us don't have a ton to say on this film. I think we've made our position pretty clear already. Uh, Peter Bogdanovich mm-hmm. loves this film so much so that he uh, did a, a whole, he did an homage to it with his, uh, his film What's Up, Doc? Ryan O'Neill. Um, and he, I found a clip of him introducing the film on either AMC or TCM or one of those channels. And, um, he talks about just how, even though he, even though he appreciates it, he talks about, uh, how you as an audience member may want to take a short intermission because it is exhausting in reference directly to Catherine Hepburn and all the, the giddiness that happens throughout the film, uh, so, I mean, that's not exactly a glowing review. If you tell somebody, I mean, this is a, a movie that's an hour and 40 minutes, and no, you should take an intermission during this because it's exhausting. Yeah. How is that? That's an indictment of the film. How is that uh, praising it at well, all? And, and at one point, and maybe this is my like theater snobbishness coming into it, but like even even farce, you need to have a straight character. You need to have the person, the voice of reason, the somebody who isn't just a caricature. And and you think that maybe Slocum could be that, or you think that Applegate could be that, and they turn out to be blithering idiots you know, every, like everybody yeah, else. Everybody in this movie is is not a human being. Like, that's what Howard, Howard Hawks said. He would never make another film like this because there are no normal people in it. And 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 that's the thing is is you are allowed to have a movie like this in existence. And I think, I think part of me wishes that Cary Grant was more of a straight guy in it, but he, but he's playing such a befuddled idiot the entire time. Yeah, that I not don't the, the charming Cary Grant that I've come to expect yeah. in something like North by Northwest, but he doesn't even have to be charming as much as he could just be like the quote unquote normal person. But he's such a, 
a you know a dork who doesn't who can't really find find yeah, his and spine and walked all over yeah. throughout this film. And I guess I, I've read some analysis where they they talk about trying to find lost masculinity in this film and digging for bones and things like that. People read again. We talked about last week, people reading into things too much. And that's another thing is talking about finding his masculinity and uh, being around Hepburn normalizes him or at least brings him to her level, which is for her uh, a realm of normalcy. Well, and I just, I, 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 and I think part of me wanted more, you know, when he, at the end, he says that was the best day of my life. How much, I mean, not, not, not nearly enough time has passed. And it's like, if, if that's going to be the case, if, if this really was a pivotal moment for you in your life, then we needed to see it because I I don't get that from any, he barely smiles. Like I don't, it's just hard to, to make sense of, and I get, maybe I'm thinking too logically about this film and maybe, maybe, and honestly, maybe I'm just biased about old comedies. Cause I didn't like duck soup. I tried to watch, I watched horse feathers on your recommendation. I was like, I still, I still don't, maybe I'm not a Mark Brothers fan. And it's not that I'm against, I, I, cause I, I love it happened one night. I really like that movie. Well, that is the high benchmark for thirties comedy. Yeah. I mean, but, that is none, none of, none of the other ones that I've seen anyway are as good as that. Yeah. But I just, I mean, and I get, I get why and how this is trying to be funny. I just, I, I don't know. I, I just, like, I, like I'm, trying, I'm just, I'm just looking at my notes here, and it's like, did you find? Well, let's let's do this. Did you find anything good to say about it? I'm looking through my notes. I said people must be cuckoo nostalgic for this movie. That's and that's the sort of general feeling that I got as well, especially once I saw Bogdanovich talking about it, is I feel like there's a, yeah, there is a wave of nostalgia that has maybe clouded this film and like something, I think I talked about this during Vertigo, maybe it's reevaluation has been taken too far and it's it's ripe for yet another reevaluation, a more level-headed one. I mean, in, in what world does she get away with ramming his car? How, how is that a thing? That's, that's, no, no. That's 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 essentially it's attempted vehicular manslaughter. Like like that's no that's yeah. that's a crime you are committing. Yeah. And yet, oh, ha, 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 it's fine. <laughs> so I just would you, would you like to hear me say one good thing about it? Sure. Yeah. Uh, my unsung hero is a fella named Vernon L. Walker. He did the special effects. Mm-hmm. Now, did you feel like you could see the meshing? The you could see the the line between the actual footage of them being in the room with the leopard versus the stuff where they had had, had to cut it together in post-process. I mean, apparently there's a scene where Cary Grant has the leopard on a leash and the leash is actually hand-painted on to the frame to, to connect the two plates, the one of him walking alone and the one of the leopard walking. I mean, oh. I, it fooled me, as well, well as the, a lot of the post-process stuff. The, the poor man's process, rather, of them in the car with the rear screen projection, mm-hmm. where they're alone in the car, and then they shot the leopard in the back seat. Yeah. I mean, it, it fooled me. It looks great. There's a lot of tricks. I mean, there's, apparently there's a trick, too. When, when Cary Grant sees him in the bathroom, there, he actually, he is behind a gate. Yeah, um, he's like in a, in, a, in a glass, plexiglass cage yeah, or something, yeah. right? And, probably, and this is probably before the days of plexiglass, they use, but whatever the yeah, substitute they, they, was. I, I do. I think. I think the amount of trickery that they they used to to get it on there, and but and even just the 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 plain scenes where that leopard was on screen with them. Yeah, which is why I'm sure it's your unsung it, hero. Abs- I, I think our unsung and, heroes are fitting. And I don't say that like I, I get how that could sound out like 
kind of kind of jokingly because I don't like this movie, but I I actually am very impressed with the fact that they have a leopard in this movie. Well, and it's it's not our first animal unsung hero. I uh, it's I it, well, it's not it, it's not it's my first, right? Right. Yeah. But I I called the bird in La Samurai. Samurai. I know. I know. I hear you. Your fucking smirk over there. Yeah, I know. But uh, yeah, that's that for me is is what makes this film stand out. I mean, because I, like I said, I was completely fooled. I, as far as I was concerned, Cary Grant was walking that leopard. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, if you want me to be like really nitpicky, like I, I did enjoy like, I'm, which I'm assuming was Cary Grant holding. I'm assuming was, if not Catherine Hepburn, somebody her, quite similar to her size when that fucking br- brontosaurus fucking falls, like he's, he's holding on to somebody. That's, that's a good stunt. That yeah, that really is. I was like, I was like, wow, I wish I didn't have to go through this whole movie just to get to one good stunt. Cause then there's a lot of like ridiculous things. Like, and it, it's like, can everything is so like him slipping on an olive? Like, no, who not no, an olive. You crush the olive when you step on Like how light footed are you, you, you man? Barely feel that you stepped on something. You know, and and at one point, um, I'm glad you bring that up because that's going to play into my replacement. Oh, great, great. Um, I and like you know, like Catherine Hepburn, she rams she rams a car, she steals a car, she hits Doctor Doctor Lehman in the head with a rock. Like she's this woman. Oh, I, at one point, what is it? Uh, Cary Grant says, "You tell any anyone anything that comes into your head." Yes. That's a problem. Yeah, that, that's that's not a. This has woman has no when you're social making a, norms. A pros and cons list about this woman. This that does not go in the pros column, dude. I I I wonder whose whose growth as a human being has been stunted more, Catherine Hepburn in this movie, or Leatherface. Wow. I, I like the harking back to the the previous episode there because a... because I I think that this woman Leatherface at least shows some cognizance. <laughs> Despite the fact that he is is mentally challenged, I just I I don't know, man. I I I just I found her insufferable, and it's not. And I want to be clear. That, that's the, exactly the adjective I had as well. Was insufferable. I want to be clear that this is not a comment on Catherine Hepburn, because she is a tremendous actress. Yeah, or she this would is later a, go on to prove that she was tremendous. This is a comment entirely about this character in this movie. I I just can't. I oh man, so yeah. And from time to time. We've mentioned we haven't done it every episode, and we certainly haven't made it a staple so far. I keep pushing for it, and here's another here's another one. But I talk about weak links, yeah, in films, and I my first instinct was to go with the writing, but you know the writing in places isn't terrible. There are some fantastic one liners in this film. Um, they zing back and forth. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. a couple of really good zingers, but uh, I think and after all the reading that I did about how even the production went on this thing, which was a fucking shit show yeah yeah the weak link is howard hawks that's interesting well i mean he got released from his contract that's true so that's all and 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 Catherine hepton had to get bought out of hers i how she bought she bought herself yes yeah exactly um i don't know if she had assistance or not I, i feel like i remember reading another name that was involved in the in the buyout but i didn't care enough to write it down yeah, so yeah. it probably was yeah just her buying herself out of it i don't know how carrie grant's reputation wasn't damaged by this as well because it was her they called box office poison not yeah. him which maybe that's sexist probably is yeah um but howard hawks i mean production was delayed on this thing 
uh, 40 days they went overseas. How do you yeah. go 40 days, even if the animals are troublesome to work with, how do you go 40 days well, over and, schedule? And, and I find it I find it hard to believe because, and I, I mean, I read numerous accounts that, you know, everybody was laughing so much on the set and that, and that Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn got along really well and that, that takes a really long giggling time. giggling fits. But like 40 days... That's absurd. That's crazy. Yeah. If for I, what what seems like a and, and this is I'm, not, I'm believe me I I've shat on this from a lot but this comment is not doing that but for a fairly basic comedy leopard aside it, it's not like it's a what what is what is so complicated about the movie yeah well I mean it, it feels like uh, from what I was reading there were a lot of script there were four different scripts that they were using at the same time I think the original script was over two hundred pages. Which are are you insane? Who I, the hell wrote this thing? Well, you know it's funny though. I I, I had heard that um, uh, there was a, like a, a live table read of this of this show, and that it it, it um it, it goes by quick. That it, it that it's so many pages because of the dialogue. Yeah, it's, it's all spoken. Yeah, I yeah. found myself stopping to rewind quite a bit, even more so than the Marx Brothers movie that we did, to try and catch some of the dialogue because she is just motor mouth. Yeah. Like, can you calm it down? Can you actually take a breath and think about what you're saying before you say it? Which I think is indicative of just the character in general. Well, but, and then, like, I mean, Howard Hawks shut down production or closed down production early, so he could go to the fucking racetrack. Yeah. I, 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 if one, I'm RKO, I'm losing my fucking mind. At one point towards the end, I said, I hate Susan. She's delusional and at the end of the film hasn't learned anything and can just continue to keep being spoiled and selfish. So she literally has no arc. Yeah. She has no arc, and and that's just bad writing. That, that that's that's like, and then I, I also heard that they there was there was a couple scenes within like in the middle of the movie where, um, that uh, where Huxley and Susan kind of profess their love to each other, but they were cut. I, you know, I don't want this movie to be any longer. But, but for there's the ending, a lot you can take out to put that stuff back yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. To justify the ending. Because because then the, when, when he says that was the best day of my life, I literally, I sat up on my couch and I went, what? Are, are you? Did Melissa watch this with you? She did. What she think? She did not like it. All right. Although she did contribute two things that I will, I, I want to put in now. Excellent. Um, so, uh, Catherine Hepburn is wearing some weird like veil hairpiece yeah, thing. Yeah, I had to Liz and I stopped the movie to try and figure out what that was. Now, I, I we didn't we, we didn't go upstairs, but Melissa as a costume designer has a bunch of books on fashion. Melissa assures me that that was the fashion of the time. So that's not so that's there. Um I think I think this this gets said at when they're drying off their their clothes. They've fallen into the water and they've set up camp oh, for some she, reason. They, yeah, they stopped to set up camp. That drove and, me nuts and she lights but, his sock on fire. But somebody says in that line, they're like, do you want to play squat tag? And somebody goes, what's squat tag? And I, and I out loud, I go, Why, what is squat tag? And, and Melissa said, oh, it's giving head. <laughs> I just thought that was... Oh, okay. I, d- I have a little bit of appreciation for them slipping that through. That's great. No, no, no. I, I don't think that that's... I don't think that's... Oh, you don't think that's her, their intention? No. I just... It made me laugh that Melissa dropped a, right. a one-liner about giving head as we were watching Bringing a oh, Baby. It made me well chuckle uh, quite a bit. It was the most I laughed in the entire time watching oh, the brilliant. movie. Well done, Melissa. That's classy. I love it. Uh, squat take is just giving head. Um, brilliant. Made me laugh more than more than any part of this movie. Now, while say. we're talking about double entendres, him talking about going gay Thank all Thank you. Yeah, we weren't going to end this episode without bringing that up. Yeah. 
So and and so we'll just bring it up. So there's a there's a moment where he's wearing like a a, a woman's nighty and and somebody comes to the door. Yeah, it's like a very frilly bathrobe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, he says, "I just I would I just went gay all of a sudden." And because Aunt Elizabeth keeps pushing, "Why are you wearing that? Yeah. Where are your clothes?" Yeah, and and it's funny because I know I and there's a lot you can read about you know this being the first time that gay was used in a homosexual manner. Rather um, than just meaning, oh, I'm ecstatically happy. Crazy, yeah, exactly. Um, crazy happy. And and it's and then they but they said that it was ad lib that Carrie that it wasn't in the script that Cary Grant just ad libbed that and that it became something that they used in the in the movie. I don't know that I have any real thoughts on it other than it, maybe this is the first the first time that that it was used that way. Well, I have I have two other instances. Uh, I think a, I found those two. A film yeah. called My Weakness, in 1933, but the censors made them muffle it slightly, uh, so it's still heard. But I think there's something over the top of it. And then uh, This Side of Heaven from 1934 also has a, a reference to gay, meaning homosexual, in a sort of derogatory way, as opposed to ecstatically happy. I'm almost wondering if that's how Cary Grant meant it or whether this whole first instant or very early instance is just uh, people, again, people either people reading into it or people misconstruing his meaning. Yeah, it, you know, and I think the only reason why I even, because I wrote it down before I looked at the note, like before I did the research, and because when he said it, it didn't, it didn't sound like, oh, because I went homosexual. But, but because of what he was wearing and because of the kind of, madcap whatever comedy that we were watching it did it did make me pause and go okay i i know i know this is this wasn't of the time at all but i i really did wonder if how he meant it i i i think i agree with you i think it was more just you know i i got excited i'm you know i'm not thinking straight i'm just that's how whatever but but you know hard to say and I don't, and I don't think anybody Cary grant harrod hawks anybody ever really definitively came out and said one way or the other so we're just kind of left to ponder. I know, I know yeah. a lot of people, I think, do think that it was the first time that it, or not, you know, one of the first times of, of using it in a, in a homosexual manner. I don't know that I do. Yeah. And I'm, if, I'm not convinced. And if it is. Who gives a shit? Well, I, it's just like, I mean, yeah, you could, you could rip on it for not, for it being used in a way of making homosexuals seem dainty or feminine or whatever. And I could, and obviously that's not good, but I, I, I guess I just, I just didn't hear it that way, but. I, I don't know. And maybe, but, and it's funny because with 2019 years, I feel like, you know, we hear everything in a, you know, it's hard to look back at things that are even, you know, five years old and be yeah, able to go, oh. we can't apply our values to 1938. But, uh, I don't, I don't, I have no idea. Yeah. But yeah, that was a thing that, that he said gay yeah. and there, there you have it. Oh. <laughs> I, so just to, to hammer home to come back to, to Howard Hawks, if I can for a Oh, moment. yeah, please do. Um, the other thing that I read, everybody had overtime clauses. So because this film went 40 days over schedule, everybody got paid double what they were supposed to. So again, I my, my heart goes out to RKO on this for allowing... I, well, my heart goes out to them, but also the question is, why did they allow this to continue for as long as it did? Uh, the only thing that's redeemable for Howard Hawks in my mind, because he is the weak link for me, undoubtedly. I love the story about him and, and Hepper clashing. You know, There's a very famous story of her I was just ruining gonna, takes. I was just going to read that. Yeah. Yeah. Ruining takes and, and you know, are you done imitating a parrot? And she's like, don't talk to me. I'm friend. Don't talk to me like that. I'm friends with so many people on this crew. And then, of course, he asks a, a lighting guy who he'd rather drop a lamp on. That That's great. I, I, I thought I also read something about. Uh, 
I'm not going to be able to find it, but there was something, something similar to that where apparently she was talking a lot right before they were trying to call, call action. And apparently she was talking, like it wasn't just Cary Grant, I mean, it was extras and anybody. And so everybody was instructed to not talk back to her as they were trying to start. And like when she finally realized that she was the last one talking, like she, it was a similar story where like she kind of finally learned like, oh wait, we're waiting on me to stop talking. Okay. So let's shoot this thing. And which, I mean, it, when you hear about the, them going 40 days over and the, the jail scene taking 12 days instead of the scheduled five, I mean, how as a director, how as a producer, how as a studio do you allow that to happen? I mean, there's more famous instances of, of films going over schedule, Apocalypse Now, yeah, very, very we talk about, yeah. but I just, the lack of discipline in the early days of Hollywood like this, I mean, I just, I can't fathom, I can't wrap my mind around why this was allowed to happen. Yeah, I, I don't know either. I mean, and, you know, and it, it really, it, it's, I mean, it's crazy that, you know, that Hepburn had to buy her way out and that Hawks kind of went through a, a hard time too. I mean, obviously they both went on to make great films and yeah, great I mean, things. He, he would still, he still hadn't go on to, to make his best work yet. Yeah. Um, even though this should have been career killers for everybody in a way. Yeah. I, it's funny though. I guess I just, it's, it's hard to, you know, I realize that like, you know, something like the AFI's top 100, it, it, it's not really indicative. And, and, and there's so many movies on the list for, you know, spectacle reasons or, or for whatever. And for reasons we talked about, like, you know, a chance to look back and maybe it's the, the making of, or the, the things behind the movie that sort of elevate it to a different level. Yeah. I think there's kind of a, people look back on what I've just been talking about with going over schedule and they kind of laugh, Oh, look at the, look at what they had to do to get this made. And this, uh, they're looking at it through rose tinted glasses and I'm going, yeah. no, this is a lack of discipline. Fuck this movie. Well, and, and just, it, and, and did nobody really think about the fact that nobody really grows in this movie. And I get that it's a comedy and maybe that's not the point, but we still got to have something. Yeah. There still has to be, even if it is, if it's a slight change or, you know, or we, at least not even a change, but a realization and then, you know, fade to black and then we are left to extrapolate. Hopefully they will have learned from this and they will go on to change even if we don't see it. And inst- instead we're meant to believe that they're going to get married someday and that they're going to live happily ever after when, we realize that she will say and do anything she wants to, and that he's going to get walked over for the rest. Of, I mean, that that's a bro- that's a broken marriage, man. Yeah, it, it's not going to work. Yeah, or it's going to work in a very fucked up way. Well, at least at least Cary Grant went on to have a great filmography. Well, yeah, and, they, and they all with, did with Hitchcock, yeah. and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So I don't feel that bad for Cary Grant. Yeah, no, he 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 made it out just fine. So I I'm, it's a we're, it's a no, right? Yeah, we're oh, both, yeah, okay. it's a hard hard no. Okay, so I made a strong implicate. I, I and I I I think that this book is heavily favored for very old movies. And, and, and you mentioned this when we were talking about the naked gun. Um, but my replacement for this is, is the hangover. And I think that the direct tiger kind of comparison, and also it's, it's very antic. It's very over the top. I don't know that you could go as far as to call it a screwball comedy, but there are screwball elements there, of it. Stuff yes. that harks back to that. Yes. Yeah. But, but, but to the point where people do learn some things, like, like if we look at the Ed Helms character, like he does at the end of it, he does finally get out of that relationship that ever, like even he knows he shouldn't be in. And it's it's funny to well, think I, about. I him. think he's the only one that learns anything from it. Which but is, at least we have that. Well, that and but but and I also think that you know Zach Galifianakis's character, while he's still the same in his, in, but he's also he's been accepted. Like you know he's proven himself worth. Like I I don't know. I feel like people do like, and I think Bradley Cooper isn't like he's he's kind of the douche, but he ends up he proves himself too. And I don't know. I, I he do, still goes home to his wife and kid, no matter how much shit he talks. Yeah. I and and again, it's it's. 
maybe I'm 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 just stretching here, but I I I, I you know what I think because of the the big cat comparison and the sort of the screwball antics and. Yeah, I, I that my replacement. Well, it's is one the of the most successful comedies of it, all time. Yep. I mean, that you remember the summer when that came out. Yep. I mean, that was it was everywhere. It was huge. I remember yeah. going opening weekend, and I mean, we all we were all dying. It's yeah. one of the best. It's still one of the best experiences I've ever had in a theater for a comedy. It's up there with. I think the only one that edges it out is Burn After Reading. Oh, yeah, and that's pretty much for the dildo chair. You're and you're and and you're. I know you're particularly biased on that film. I do love that film, that's and right. a part of that is seeing it downtown Seattle the first Friday of opening weekend and seeing it with an audience and, and getting to have that shared experience where, yeah, the dildo chair happened and I, you couldn't hear the next 60 seconds of dialogue. But that's how big the reaction to it was. Um, so my replacement took a little while and I didn't really actually solidify it until a, a couple hours before we started recording, honestly. Oh, yeah? Uh, so I, I did some soul-searching, trying to think about, well, I want to replace it with something, maybe not of the period, but something at least similar enough screwball comedy and those kind of antics, like you mentioned, are, are in The Hangover as well. Yeah. Uh, I thought about Mel Brooks, but hey, all of Mel Brooks' best movies are already in the book. That's true, yeah. Um, who else did I consider? Uh, oh, I thought about uh, the original Pink Panther. That, oh, was a, okay. that was a strong contender for me, and I started watching... Uh, it's not, unfortunately, on any streaming platform, but I have seen it, but I didn't... It's been too long for me to really definitively say it's my recommend. I did watch part of the sequel, A Shot in the Dark, which was is just charming and yeah. I love. Um, my replacement is controversial because of who directed it. Now, there are a handful of Woody Allen films in the book, but I believe his first one is Annie Hall. And there's really no, um, there's really no representation for his screwball comedies, like his early work and sure. his sort of over the top, larger than life stuff. A lot of the stuff that is in his book, it's all very realistic. Yes. I mean, they're very funny movies, yeah. but they're also kind of some of them are moody and very angsty. I am an absolute sucker for his early films, uh, Bananas, and my recommend as a replacement is Sleeper. I don't know if you've ever seen Sleeper or not. Woody Allen's made a shitload of movies. He has made a shitload of movies. I, I have not seen Sleeper. And about one in four is good. That sounds about right. Yeah. Sleeper is utterly fantastic. 1973, he's a, a clarinet player who runs an organic grocery, and he goes in for a very simple procedure. He's going to, it's an ulcer operation. Of course, something goes wrong during the operation. They have to freeze his body. And he doesn't get thawed out for 200 years. So it's now 2173. And it's a, of course, it's a parody on a, a lot of sci-fi films of the day, Logan's Run and things like that. Yeah. Um, but he meets the Diane Keaton character. I think Diane Keaton's in this movie. Diane Keaton is in this In movie. a Woody Allen movie? I know, right? This is one of their, their first times working together. Um, but he ends up meeting up with her. He, he wakes up. He's in a totalitarian society. You know, if they find out who he is... Uh, he'll be, you know, he'll be lobotomized or have his identity changed or something like that. So he has to blend in, uh, pretending to be this robot. And of course, all kinds of shenanigans happen with that. One of the best scenes is actually when um, he's run off with Diane Keaton because he's trying to get into the underground faction, you know, the anti-establishment, you know, because he can find refuge with them is there. He's looking for food for her. And because uh, that's the only way he's getting her to... Uh, you know, help him out. And yeah. it's this scene, he comes across this fruit and vegetable garden, but of course in the future they're, they're trying to make the most of everything. So the fruit is huge. It's, he comes across these giant strawberries and tomatoes and this banana that is 
like seven feet long. And of course, I referencing slipping on the olive, you have slipping on the giant banana peel gag over and over again. I mean, it's, it is genuinely very funny. And there are some fantastic, as you would expect, Woody Allen one-liner, some of his best. I absolutely adore Sleeper and I have no hesitation saying it should go into the book instead of, uh, bring up baby no matter how controversial that decision may be because i'm able to separate the man from his work well and and i think that's i i mean that sound arrogant that's a bigger conversation but i i think that's fine yeah i I mean it it, you don't get i mean you you can just you can if you want to decide to suddenly hate a movie because somebody is in it or directed it or wrote it then that's up that's up to you but i think you're also negating every other part of it. Now, maybe it's different with Woody because he, he wrote, directed and acted in a lot of his movies. And you could, you could say that it's maybe it's, it's more of a whole, like yeah. a holy he's, Woody he's Allen thing. He's definitely tougher to defend. Sure. Than somebody like I, Kevin Spacey, because again, I, I side 100% with Ridley Scott when he decided to release all the money of the world and, and recast because uh, how, how are you supposed to punish 800 to a thousand people that it takes to make a movie just because one guy is a massive dickhead. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's fine. I think that's good. Yeah. Sleeper. When I said separate the man from I I realized I came across as arrogant when I said that. And I apologize if anybody is offended by my choice of putting a Woody Allen film in the book over, over Howard Hawks, you know, classic. Well, but I, you know, But, but, but I mean, Sleeper is just funnier. He already has what? ten. Yeah, ten movies in here. So no, I, I think I think we're okay. All right. I, I do think that this should come I do, out. I just don't want to be off-putting when I support a Woody Allen film. You know what I mean? Because I can see how people go. Well, there there are people that that can't separate. You're you're just gonna have to live with that. I am. You picked you picked it. So I you, did. You got to deal so, with it. Controversial. There you go, and I I have no problem inciting controversy. But I think I think ultimately what, what we what we've gotten to is that uh, bringing a baby does not belong in this book. No, um, there's there's a, a malaise of nostalgia which is is not healthy that runs through this book. Yeah, yeah, and we've we've we have gone through a couple of these, and um, you know, and, looking and, at you, quiet man. Yeah, and and you know what, and and. You know, as we get to the wrap up, we always say, "Well, we want to know what you think," and 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 maybe this this just kind of maybe like Elephant and maybe like Quiet Man and some of the other ones where we've we've said no. We I do want to know what you think because I, I I could I understand why this film is charming. I get it. I can get why people like it. Yeah, I, I just well, I want to be convinced otherwise. Yeah, tell exactly. Me, tell exactly. me why, please. Yeah, exactly. I, I, enlighten me. So please t- tell us why you think this film should be in the book. And you can do that. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook. You're listening to this probably on um, Apple Podcasts, Google, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Podomatic. So so yeah, please, you know, let us know what you think. Um, stick around next week. Uh, we haven't hit a Western. In a while. In quite some time. Yeah, a High Plains Drifter. Yep, yep. Yeah. So we are going to, we're going to finally bring that back, but we won't tell you what yet. And until then, I'm oh, very excited. I am, well, I've never seen it. You haven't. I haven't. That's great. Yep. Uh, and so uh, you'll hear a fresh take and, a, and a, a seasoned take on unsaid movie next week. But until then, I am Adam. I am Ian. And we will see you next week. Bye.